Good morning, church. Welcome to Anderson Hills. I'm Pastor Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome those who are online. Last week we looked at how the divided heart of a king named Solomon planted the seeds of division in the nation. And no sooner had Solomon died and then there was a split in the kingdom in the two tribes, the northern part of the kingdom and two tribes in the southern part. And God divided the nation because his people were sending uh, the wrong message to the world. And so today we're going to hear about the Hebrew prophets and their message was always to call people back to God and God's ways. Oh, jeez, old Pete. Hold on a second. Wait. Oh, it's my... Wait a minute. Benjamin, hey, I know... Wait a minute, man. Call AAA. It's my son. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Benjamin, it's not a good time. If you go to live streaming, you'll see that I just started my sermon, man. Anyway, but bye-bye. I'm sorry. Just call AAA, buddy. You know, some people want to get their message through. <laughs> that was fake. I, did I get you? I got you. And they won't take no for an answer. They're persistent in their calling. And we see this in the call of the prophets. Persistently wanting to get God's redemptive message through. You see, God calls us. And he uses the prophets as his phone. Why? He wants to make sure people are living in his will. God wants to bless his people. He wants to bless us, and he wants to make us a blessing to others. And that's the message he desires to do through us, through the call of the prophet. The word prophet is first used in Genesis, and Abraham is called a prophet. In Exodus, Moses and Aaron and their sister Miriam are all called prophets. And in Deuteronomy 18, we find the purpose of a prophet. They are to speak on behalf of God. And actually, that Greek word means one who speaks on behalf of another. And there's certainly a foretelling of the future role of the prophet, but there's also a foretelling role. Here's what Moses, take a look at this, said to them. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he will tell them everything I command you. I myself will call account anyone who does not listen to my words. That the prophet speaks in my name. And you see it there. God raised up people who would speak for him. Samuel, Deborah. Uh, Nathan, who was King David's pastor, who challenged him. He turned a prophet. But the pinnacle of the prophetic era were the prophets Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah. And they covered about 200 years in Israelites' history, from the 9th century to the 7th century B.C. In the New T Testament, St. Paul lists... One of the roles in the church are prophets. And as you read these prophets, you'll notice that they don't hesitate laying down the gauntlet. They're cranky, brother, sister. They usually speak hard truths 
with difficult metaphors. Here are a few examples. Amos said, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. Isaiah said, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, and I can't bear your evil assemblies. Micah 3, 1 through 3, check this out. Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones into pieces, and chop, chop them up like meat for a pan? These are not tidings of comfort and joy. <laughs> you know, I, if I said, if I got up here and started proclaiming and going, you, 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 you guys called a bishop, and his phone would be lighting up, and he'd be ghosting you. <laughs> These prophets, they were serious, and they did not win popularity contests. Can you imagine looking down at your cell phone and seeing Prophet Amos calling? <laughs> Would you accept him? Or would you slide to the left and ghosting? You know, ghosting, I learned that. It's a pretty new word in the culture. Maybe it's not new to young people like Jonathan. It's been around for years anyway. It's just ignoring a person. Sliding to the left, sliding to the left. Go to voicemail, not answering text, just letting it ring. And God calls, though, through his prophets. And he calls in the midst of rebellion. You see, Israel was sinking deeper and deeper into the cesspool of idolatry and the worship of pagan gods. And we see that under the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel. And they were rebelling against God, not only in their personal practice, but their leadership as well. And with that, God cannot abide. Yahweh is jealous. He's not going to have any fictitious, material, empty God pull his people away from himself. He won't sit idle. He will call in rebellion. Where are you? I love you. Come back to me. And he'll call us too. Maybe God's calling you. Where are you? I love you. Come back. Turn around. Come to me. Learn from me. Worship me, most importantly. When we don't worship the one true God, we'll begin to worship idols and false gods. And that of the material rather than the spiritual. You see, God cares deeply about us. And when we turn away and our love fails, God's love never fails. And his call never ceases, even in the midst of our rebellion. And so we hear the call from God through a prophet and any other source when we do we have to do everything to find our way back to God's heart. You see, God raises up these prophets. Elijah was one of them. Elijah, he is so cool. I mean, he goes through a, a, a lot of ups and downs. In the scriptures, it states that King Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord. He married Jezebel, and of course, Jezebel pulled him in to worshiping Baal. Abraham even built a temple for Baal in the capital city of Samaria. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Elijah warned Ahab that Israel would experience a three-year drought because of his worship of Baal. And God sent Elijah to challenge these prophets 
that were serving under Jezebel. So look at 1 Kings 18 here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Have I not made trouble? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commandments. You have followed the Baals and now summon the people from all over. All over. Summon them to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab, he sent the word to all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If it is Baal, is God, follow him. The people said nothing. You see, Ahab shouts at Elijah, you, you troubler of Israel, when he sees him coming. You know, a good prophet uh, is always going to make people feel uncomfortable and troubled. Elijah reversed the blame and told Abraham that it was on his, his own idolatry that caused it all. And Elijah went on to say that he could prove his point, and so he opens up a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And there's a showdown. Going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal were to set up an altar, put firewood on this, on the altar, and then lay a young bull that was cut up as an animal sacrifice. And they were to call on Baal, their God, to set that sacrifice on fire and consume it. After they were through, Elijah was to do the same. Set up an altar, put firewood on it, and also a sacrificial animal. And then he was to call upon his God to send fire from heaven. And the people could then choose which God to follow. So the prophets of Baal, Baal were the first. But try as they might, they could not get Baal the fire. In fact, Baal didn't do anything. And they prayed morning and afternoon, and they were cutting themselves. And to no avail, Baal didn't show up. And Elijah yells at them. He says, where is your God? Is he busy? Is he asleep? He even said, is he relieving himself? Nothing happens. And then came Elijah's turn later on that afternoon. He took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and he built unto them an altar. And then even a trench was made around it. Wood was placed for the fire, and a young bull, which had been cut into pieces, was placed upon the altar. Twelve barrels of water, three times, were poured on this wood. And the water even trickled down and filled the trough, the circle around the altar. It's equivalent to 96 gallons. And then Elijah prayed. And the fire poured down from heaven and just burned it, consumed it, even went down and consumed up all the water in the trenches. And then the people fell on their faces, prostrate before God, and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah told the people to go seize these prophets, these 450 prophets, and then take them down to the Kishon Valley where they can slaughter them because they are very evil. What a scene. And this showdown was needed 
for a couple things, for the conviction of sin and people drawing away and worshiping false idols. But it was also an inspiration at the same time, and it came around and inspired those saints. You see, God is constantly working, constantly purifying to make holy the corrupt and removing what is false and deceptive. You see, God loves his people so much, he doesn't want to let them continue down the path of destruction led by Ahab and Jezebel and those false prophets. And God wants us to come back in order to remain and experience the benefits of his holiness by being attached to him. Abundant life, righteousness, goodness. And the voice of that phone call is always proclaiming, be holy as I am holy so that we can experience life in this world and protection. And that holiness guards us from false gods of the world that are always striving and trying to gain influence and infiltrate our lives. These prophetic messengers are a constant tuning fork for the lives of many people and for us as we stand on their shoulders and we see these stories and we see God's people, their failures, their successes, and we learn from them in the midst of our failures and successes. Why? To help us walk in our witness. You know what? You're messengers too. You are. God wants to use our witness. Notice when Elijah calls to the people after he challenges Ahab. We find the people of Israel wavering on the fence. They can't answer that question about who to follow, the Lord or Baal. When we say yes to God and follow the Lord, we will walk in a witness of power. And God will use our witness to help people come back to God or come to God for the very first time. It's the call of God and his will for us to communicate to the world through that action, to speak on behalf of God as the body of Christ, loving them on behalf of Christ. You know, and God desires that we become prophets to communicate on his behalf. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes to the church, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And he goes on in the third verse, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. As a United Methodist, when a United Methodist clergy person is ordained, uh, they're tasked to make an ordination banner that's put on a big, long pole. And this banner leads the person that's going to be ordained by the bishop in procession down to the stage. I asked, uh, I was in Gallup Police, Ohio at the time, and at Grace United Methodist Church, and I asked a lady named Paula Blevins to make my banner. She was an artist. She was so gifted as a seamstress. And I couldn't find I was trying to dig up my banner. I don't know where it's at. I'm, I think it's from the 12 moves since then that I uh, have lost it. But I'll find it. But the banner said these words. Christ ambassador to all people. And then it had the pitcher and basin representing baptism. And the chalice and a loaf of bread representing communion, the sacraments, and it had 
Second uh, Corinthians five twenty, written down below that. And that verse is this, and it was my ordination verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, we are in the ministry of reconciliation as God's ambassadors or prophets, helping people come back to God. And our lives speak love, strength, encouragement, and comfort into people's lives. You're the phone with a message. You are. And people might ghost you, slide to the left, hang up, or let it go to voicemail. It's okay. you got to continue to call and utilize the gifts God has given to you in your witness and keep on speaking. Another prophet was Hosea. He received a call from God. He was commanded by God to marry Gomer, a prostitute, and to love her despite her unfaithfulness. Look at Hosea 1, 2 through 5. I'm just going to read a little portion of this. When, God, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married. He married her. I know this sounds strange, but Hosea, his actions actually demonstrate God loving his people despite their unfaithfulness. Hosea, his life was an account that God deeply loved his nation, his people, and wants them to turn back and come back to them out of that unfaithfulness. Even though Gomer runs away from Hosea, sleeps with another man, he loves her anyway and forgives her. And likewise, even though the people of Israel worship false god, he continued to love, and he did not abandon them. He remembered his covenant of love. Listen to these words from God through Hosea in chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I, out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They turned incense into images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize that it was I who healed them and led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. And to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. You see, God shows through Hosea that he uses radical ways to remind us of his love. And we do need to be reminded of that, that we are loved. We are God's sons and daughters, and we need to remind that there's nothing that we can do to separate from that love. And we have to get it here so that it can move here into our hearts so that it can go out into the fabric of our being and go out through our witness and action. You see... That love begins from the day we are born. What it means is that we're never on our own. We're never alone. And God is constantly at work in our lives through a childhood years, the teen years, through the pressure of work, raising children, through retirement, through bereavement. God is there. God is with you through your loss. 
through your surgeries, through the stages of the human journey. Maybe they're there in the midst of, of your heart not operating the best. When you get bad news at the doctor's office, it intercedes and surrounds your marriage and your singleness. And it also means that we are not left to our own devices when it comes to our relationship with God. God doesn't wait for us, but graciously makes the first move toward us. Otherwise, there would be no movement at all. And he does that. He always takes the first step. And so these prophets continue, and they start to see what he does require. What does the Lord require? What does God want us to do in the midst of this message? What kind of action response is God looking for? Of all the prophets, Micah sums up the best living call from God's messengers. And it's one of the most magnificent statements in the Bible. There's a good chance that you know it, having never opened your Bible. And if you do know this with your heart, and you see it and you write it on your heart and remember it, it's a great practice and call from the prophet for you, a messenger. He said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah calls these folks and he calls us how to live in this world as Christ's ambassadors. And from the very beginning, God has been very, very quite clear about what he's looking for from his people. And God calls to us. And his ways have to be shown or demonstrated, and it's demonstrated by those things. And God desires to pass on his character to his messengers. And God first shows us that we must act with justice. First, God wants these things. And think for a moment how mad you get when somebody treats you unfairly. Every one of us could tell stories about having something unjust done to us. David Hagler, he's a former umpire, major league, but then also umpired for amateur baseball. He was driving too fast in Boulder, Colorado. A policeman pulled him over, gave him a speeding ticket. He said, I tried to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't let me go. He just said, go to court. The first game the next baseball season, that policeman and I recognized each other. And he stepped up to the plate, he tapped the bat on his shoe, and he said, how'd the thing with that ticket go? And I tell him, buddy, you better swing at everything. <laughs> he got revenge. <laughs> he wanted justice, and he did it. And we hate it when we get treated unfairly, and it happens at work uh, with our friends and our family. And our tendency is to revenge. And we live in a world where Injustice goes on every day, everywhere. And the prophets say, do justice. Be an agent of justice. Care about it. You know, I can't correct all the unjust injustices of the world, but I can do something. I can notice and I can pay attention how others treat others and have the courage as a Christian man to stand up for people who are not being treated fairly. And in the midst of, I'm going to talk to you young people, in the midst of school, there is so much bullying. And I believe God calls us as Christian teens or adults, wherever we are, when we see that, to stand up for that person. 
The next thing is kindness. God desires loving kindness. The word, excuse me, the word Micah uses is hisad. In the Old Testament, it's the word most closely associated with God's covenant love and divine kindness. It's steadfast love that expresses itself in action that is presented outward to others. 25 years ago, I remember a parishioner at my student pastor at church told me he heard a story of Christian kindness from a small town not too far from Mount Orb. And what happened was this teenage girl was in an automobile accident, which led to a pile of medical bills for uh, her and her single mom. This young girl was in 4-H at the time, country girl, and she was raising a hog, a pig, to show and then the auction at the local 4-H fair. At the time, she was on crutches, and this, it was Ed Kearley. He told me that she was tapping the pig along with her crutches trying to show that hog and then eventually at the end of the fair all the animals are auctioned and people businessmen and women can bid on those and this young lady was hoping to get maybe three or four dollars a pound for this 220 pound pig she brought the pig out into the fair arena and she's tapping it you know it was going out there in the middle and they were bidding on it and uh, I used to raise hogs in 4-H Anyway, and it was sold for around $3.50 a pound. And uh, after the auction was over, a voice cried out from the bleachers, auction off that pig again. And it happened. And Ed told me, he said, dude, Pastor Jonathan, it, it happened over and over and over and over again. And these Christian farmers and business leaders in that community were, were yelling it. He said the pig was sold 23 times. And the money raised thousands to cover all the medical bills and even more for the single mom and this young girl. It's a Christian action. Do you love kindness? Express it. Guess what? God requires us to step up in that kindness and generosity. And as a loudspeaker witness, a phone call speakerphone to all the world. Micah says also walk humbly with God. I think Micah included that one because a lot of prophets had a hard time being self-righteous. And a true prophet remembers that he or she too is, is a sinful person. And they assist sometimes in help messing up the world. And so they remember Micah's words to walk humbly with your God. Side by side. And when we walk next to the, the model and the example of Christ who humbled himself, put all things aside, and experienced death, even death and the shame on the cross, and we remember that, that we follow our Lord's example in that. And self-righteousness is not the message we want to send. The next thing is compassion. We deserve judgment. We receive God's compassion, and we need to allow that compassion, that divine compassion, to flow through us. And that's what the cross reminds us of, is God's grace, God's love coming to us even before we're consciously awareing, aware of that. And when we realize that compassion, it's God speaking into our message. And he desires us, convincing us of that need of compassion and awakening us to his presence and gracious availability 
to us. And it also, we see that convincing us of his grace and telling the truth about ourselves. You see, Jesus constantly looked out upon people and he looked out upon them with compassion. He didn't want them to wander. And he even said, they're like, a sh- they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he wanted them to trust in him as their shepherd and follow him. Redemption. Ultimately, ultimately God, the ministry of God through the prophets is redeeming. God promises to bring them home. What is he talking about? Redemption in, in this t- context is Israel returning back to their homes, back to the rhythms and ways of following the specific commandments and requirements of God. And it's about us coming home into a relationship with God through Christ and lift us out of the mud and mire and put us on his path. Are you serious? I forgot to turn that thing off. Hello? All right. God's calling us to find our way back, to come back to him using the message of the prophets. This is a story. This is a part of the story. And we can't ghosting. We can't allow it to go the voicemail. You can't ghost the Holy Ghost. You can't. We are God's messengers, and he is so wonderfully persistent. And we have to listen to what he's saying so that we can communicate as God's messengers to this world and be a voice to lead others back to God. Amen. Amen.